Hey everybody, this is Mike Joseph, host of the Detoxicity Podcast. Before we begin this week's episode, I want to remind you, please subscribe, rate, and comment on this podcast wherever you're listening to it. You can find me on Instagram at DetoxPodGuy and on Twitter at TizMikeJoseph. Reach out via DM with comments, or if you know someone who'd be good to feature on an episode, or if you yourself would like to be interviewed, you can also email me for that. I am at DetoxPod at gmail.com. Finally, just want to remind everybody to wear a mask and social distance. Please be kind to others and be kind to yourselves. Thanks for listening, and I hope you and yours stay and remain safe and healthy. Peter Kirk is a musician based in New York City who records and tours under the name Panama Wedding. Panama Wedding released two well-received EPs in 2014 and 2015 before Peter took a break to reassess his career and become a dad. His first new single in some years, Fly to Panama, was just released this month. In our conversation, Peter and I talk about the ups and downs of being a professional musician, as well as how much different it is from his previous gig working in finance. We also discuss new fatherhood, presumed age requirements of a rock star, and whether Peter has a dark side. We also begin this talk with a solid five minutes of gushing over Phil Collins, so uh, I apologize for that. Anyway, take it away, Peter. This is Peter Kirk from Panama Wedding. I live in Brooklyn, and I make music. You do. You make music. That's that's how I found you. So uh, where to start? There's a couple, actually one thing in particular that when I first saw you, because I first saw you play maybe like six or seven years ago when I was living in Boston, is that... The Lansdowne Pub. What? I looked this up. Really? Holy shit. Yeah. It was a, you know, because we, we had talked before about, you know, that first show that, that we met and yeah, I looked it up to Lansdowne Pub. That was a, I think it was a radio BDC show. It was like some sort of free show, but it was a little like, kind of like Irish bar in, yeah. I don't know. Do you, do you know where that is, the Lansdowne Pub? It is in Back Bay. It's near Fenway. I remember it was a cool place. I, hopefully it, hopefully it's still there. I think Maybe it is still there. The pandemic. I think it is still cool. there. But yeah, that's the only show I've ever seen in that place because it's not generally a music venue. But like the one thing I remember about like seeing you play and like, you know, seeing you afterwards, I was like, this guy looks like a regular fucking guy because I don't know. And I shouldn't think this way. Like when you think of like a musician, you think like, you know, Michael Jackson or Prince or Axl Rose, just somebody who's like, not the type of person you would normally see walking down the street. Um, right, right. And, you know, and it's not, you know, it's not an insult or anything like that, but like, you just have a very like approachable, like regular guy. I could have a beer with this dude kind of look. <laughs> and then, I'll, like, I'll, yeah. And then like, I read up on your story and it's like, oh, this guy used to work in finance and then decided to become, a, you know, decided to, to make records. And I'm like, that checks out. Because I could see this guy, yeah. like, walking out of Penn Station, the L-I-R-R, with, like, the shirt, you know, <laughs> I, with the... I've done that. Right. Times, yeah. Right. With the college shirt and tie on, just kind of, like, with the briefcase right. walking down to, to wherever. So... With the, yeah, yeah. Has anybody ever, like, mentioned that to you before? Just, like... Yeah, it's funny. I, you know, I mean, it sounds pretentious to drop this, but I, I was... I was playing a show right out of Oxford University in the UK and uh, a bunch of, you know, a bunch of kids after the show came up to me and they were kind of giggling a little bit, telling me that they, they thought I looked like an accountant. Um, (laughs) And I was like, well, you know, you, you're not completely wrong. No, I never, I was never an accountant, but yeah, I've gotten that from, from time to time. You know, I look, it's, it's funny. It's, I take it as a compliment, but I think it, it does sort of, you know, show you what, what the stereotypes people have about what, what they perceive, you know, a recording artist or someone in a rock band is supposed to look like, you know, for me, like I grew up listening to so many artists, like, you know, guys like Phil Collins, for example, who I've done a cover of like, you know, sort of in some ways, the anti-rock star, you know, like balding and, you know, over the age of 40. And, you know, I take it as, I take it as a compliment. I, you know, it's it's it is funny though to hear people kind of say that from time to time (laughs) i I gotta share this with you now i met phil collins once and uh, wow phil collins is one of my favorite musicians i mean i'm from the 80s i grew up no jacket required phil collins was my dude 
And <laughs> I have met, you know, I've been in the music industry for 27 years. I've met lots of people. I've met Prince. I've met Springsteen. The person that I was the most psyched to meet was Phil Collins. And I think I, I'd be nervous to meet Phil Collins. Where I did you meet him? He did. So he put out a soundtrack to a Disney movie called Brother Bear. And this would have been 2004. Tarzan. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was after Tarzan. Okay. And it was him and Tina Turner <laughs> that, that did that soundtrack. And he did a show to promote the, uh, to promote the soundtrack. And it was supposed to be taped for VH1. And I don't think it ever aired. I don't know why. But me and my boss at the time got invited to the show. And I dragged my boss because my boss was, is like, you know, kind of hipstery dude from like the late 70s, early 80s who likes punk rock and <laughs> fucking that kind of right. shit. I'm not going to see a Phil Collins show. I was like, if you don't take me to this show, we are going to have a problem. So <laughs> we went to the show and then they're like, if you want to have your pic, uh, no, they weren't taking pictures. There weren't camera phones back then. Um, but they were like, if you want to get something signed or shake Phil's hand, you know, you can do that. Just wait back here. So they let us out like, you know, one by one or group by group. And I went out and I almost cried, first of all, and <laughs> which I, you know, I was pretty jaded at that point. So for me to like, be tearing up and I just like I, I shook shook his hand and was like I'm such a fan of your work and one thing I sort of did also was sort of stand next to him to determine whether I was taller than him or not because right. I'm a pretty short guy and I wasn't sure where Phil Collins was on the shortness scale and I am taller than Phil Collins so is he is he is he really short is he like Prince uh, short or no like I, I mean Prince is like shoulder height to me in heels uh this is so, like a doll yeah yeah phil collins is maybe like an inch shorter than i am i'm i'm five seven and some change so was he a nice guy i mean he's a very nice guy what was that like he was a very nice guy i mean it was it was yeah, a two minute two minute interaction he doesn't seem like a nice guy he doesn't seem like a guy who would you know give you a hug you know he'd be like well, he didn't give me a hug but he's also british you know british people are not very like effusive true you know, but you know, I was like, I'm a huge fan of your work. And I shook his hand and he smiled and he was like, oh, very nice. It's good to meet you, blah, blah. And that was, you know, more or less Especially the interaction. Yeah. Yeah. So I, yeah. yeah, I like, I don't think I'm one to get starstruck, but I think if I met him, see, like guys like Peter Gabriel and Phil Collins and, you know, Steve Winwood and, you know, those types, like meeting Phil Collins may, It'd be like meeting like Batman or like the Easter Bunny. Like I, I don't, I don't like look at these guys as like real people living normal lives. You know, going to Starbucks and yeah, it's just like he's he's almost as like comic book character to me. So seeing him kind of in real life would be completely surreal, you know. But yeah, like see, see I don't know. Yeah, like I, I would like to think that meeting him would be a, a pleasant experience, but I, I could imagine it being kind of like kind of scared to meet Phil Collins, but um, it's also it like, like a really interesting. Yeah, I don't know yeah. if you've read his book. It's, it's, a, it's a good book. I have a copy I can lend you if you'd like. Yeah, sure. Um, but it's like his biography. Right? Yeah, he, yeah. You know, the, the other interesting thing about Phil Collins is that, which some people don't know, he's like one of the biggest collectors of memorabilia and, and history artifacts related to the Alamo, you know, yep. like the Battle of the Alamo. Yep. He's like, He's like the preeminent historian on the Alamo. Like you could like go to Amazon.com and like look up books that he's he's put out on the Alamo. Yeah, totally bizarre and makes but somehow like makes sense for Phil Collins. But so so you're talking about a biography. Yeah, he's got uh, an autobiography came out I think two years ago. It's a good read. It's one of the better. And you know he's very self-deprecating and you know, droll and very honest about, you know, things that he's been through fairly recently regarding addiction and, you know, sort of serial, serial divorces and marriages and, yeah. and, and that kind of thing. Like it's, you know, but it's a good read. Yeah. So I'll, it's, yeah. it's on one of my shelves here. That one up. Yeah. So going back to you, cause this is not a podcast about Phil Collins. Oh. I, I do that some other time, but what, what made you, I mean, what brought you to finance and then what brought you from finance to music? Because I think that that's got to be a cool story or a cool series of stories. Well, you know, I think for me, you know, going back to what you said about, like, when you saw me, you just thought of like, hey, he's just like a regular guy. Like, huh, this is like the singer of a, you know, 
indie rock band or whatever. Like that's what kind of I've always like perceived myself as just this like just regular dude. Like I I never I guess for a long time saw myself as an artist per se, as someone like the face of a band or you know project. I I was always but at the same time I always really loved making music and I I, I really can't trace a specific point when I was a little kid that that I started writing songs but but yeah from a very young age I I was always really drawn to music and and I always you know it's had song ideas in my head and that was just sort of a current running through my life for a long time and I did I briefly had interest in getting in like the business side of the music industry, but at the time the music industry was sort of going through a kind of existential crisis, like post Napster. This is when iTunes was really sort of the dominant, you know, distribution sort of method in, in the, in the business. And that was on its decline. And I, I guess I never really had like a real crystal clear vision about like, what I wanted to do, but I always liked writing songs and I always liked making music. It, it felt more than a hobby to me, but I, at the same time, like, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm dating myself a little bit, but you know, when I, when I graduated college, this was like pre the recession, mm-hmm. there was, you know, it was expected that pretty much, you know, I grew up in New York in a, you know, upper, upper middle class suburb. And, you know, it was expected like you, you went to a good college and you graduated and you got a job and you would go to your parents' house. That was like, you know, that was sort of the expectation. You know, now all of that has changed, you know, with, with the economy, you know, falling apart in sure. 08 and 09. So for me, like, I, I just, you know, I had an interest in, in, like economics and finance and you know I just got a job that's kind of what you did right out of college and for a while I was I was working at Deutsche Bank and then was at Morgan Stanley working in like the the FX trading area and I think something happened around you know right after the recession and I think we've talked about this before but there was this sort of like you know sort of existential crisis and there was there was a sort of like sense of nihilism where so many people have lost their jobs and then the, the sense of you know, a career and staying at a company was suddenly this very tenuous thing. Job security was this fleeting thing. I think a lot of people during that period, including me, started to rethink about you know, what they were doing and what, you know, this is something that I'm really passionate about. And for me, it wasn't. And I, and I just, you know, at the time I had a I had a friend who, who, who was running a small recording business, you know, mixing and recording bands. And he wanted to rent a studio space in midtown Manhattan. And he was looking for a partner to sort of, you know, sort of sublet his space when he wasn't using it to, to cushion the, you know, monthly nut. And, you know, I kind of got lucky. It was like at the right place at the right time. And for me, I justified it you know, I could squirrel away extra, like whatever, you know, 400, 500 a month or whatever it was. Cause I had friends who were like in volleyball leagues or, or who had like shares and, you know, summer houses in Montauk or the Hamptons. So this was like sort of my extracurricular thing to just after work, go into the studio, you know, with like, I didn't wear a suit, but you know, I had like, you know, my, my work clothes and I would take the subway and I would just work on music. And it was really kind of like, kind of like a therapeutic fun thing to do outside of work to sort of de-stress. And then I started, you know, I started like sharing some of the songs to friends and most of them were really bad and I didn't really (laughs) get like a really positive reaction. But are you saying that objectively or subjectively? that they were bad. Well, I, you know, I mean, at the time, I probably thought they were cool. But now, you know, listening back to them, like on my hard drive, I'm like, oh, my God. What <laughs> but, you know, I, I don't think the songs necessarily were bad. But like, in terms of recording and it's sort of the, the, the technical production side of things. Yeah, really, truly objectively bad. But, you know, look, it was, you know, there's no expectation. It was just me kind of being creative and 
And uh, it was weird because, like, I started just just putting out songs under my own name, again, because I, under my own name, Peter Kirk, just because I, it felt so silly to me to, like, call what I was doing some sort of band or project name. It was just, you know, it was just me. There was, right. there was nobody else involved, literally. And slowly but surely, like, friends of friends would hit me up, and they were like, yo, like, what is this? What are you doing? And they kind of wanted to know more, and then it really just snowballed from there, and I developed a kind of small cult following of you know, friends and friends of friends, and then just kind of random strangers from the from the internet, and it was like the first time where I, I felt like, okay, this is like maybe something that, you know, I could potentially like do full time. Like I don't have to, you know, work this sort of like soul crushing job in finance every day. And it was, you know, it was a solid like two years before I think I, of, of doing it before I like got, I would say I got anywhere with it. I, I wasn't aggressively pursuing a career in music, but I, you know, I would send it out to like PR companies and stuff like that and just to gauge interest. Or it's I would. Um, it's not just yeah, something playing your guitar in, in the house and being like, ah, that's cool. I'll just whatever. Like you were somewhat yeah, actively was, trying to. No, totally. I was, I was definitely trying, but you know, it, to, to compare it to like, quitting a job and, you know, hustling full time, right. you know, trying trying to, you know, it wasn't like that. It was more just sort of, you know, steady Eddie kind of just taking a bunch of shots at the hoop, you know, just trying to see if something would land and they didn't land for a long time. And then eventually I was able to, to, to get a manager who, you know, knew some, some good people and, and, uh, you know, that was pretty much around the time that, that I finished that song, All the People. And it, you know, the song did really well online. You know, the, the back, this was like back in, I think, 2013. Blogs, I, I know we've talked about this, but blogs were still a really big thing back yes. then. You know, Gold was really big. This, this was like the era of Hype Machine. Right. Hype Machine still exists, but it was a real dominant thing. Yeah. yeah, it's not the same. And... For whatever reasons, it, it did really well in, in that. And a bunch of labels and lawyers and agents, and, you know, people from the industry really wanted to get involved. And it was at that point I was able to, to you know, confidently make a jump into pursuing music full time. So it's, it's interesting. Like, I had been doing it for so long, and I, there wasn't, like, any sort of, binary sort of event that I just suddenly jumped into Panama Wedding. It was this real gradual process over time. And, you know, I, I think, I think it was, I think it was good in that way because I, I was able to sort of develop sort of the, the sound that I, that I was really into. Um, I think a lot of artists today get involved with a project and if it has like some success they're sort of like locked into it I, I i feel like panama wedding represents music i really love to make and it, it really is inspired by all of the influences that that you know sort of shaped shaped me growing up so one thing i'm thinking about now that i find really interesting is that you sort of came into music as a way to express yourself when you were already like you're a grown ass man, you've got a job, you've got money coming in, like you're settled. Was it, I, and it wasn't like, okay, like I wanna buy a big ass house or I need to get myself out of this like crappy financial situation or even it doesn't really seem like it was that much like I wanna be a celebrity, which is so antithetical to how a lot of pop stars or, or, you know, just a lot of people that are very visible in music today seem to come up. I, 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 and I think from that sense, it does seem a lot more genuine. Like, I, it's... Yeah, I, I think, yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that. And it's not something I think about often, but, you know, you, you raise a good point. Like, it, it is, like, a, 
I feel like artists today, especially, there's so many, like with all the social media, with Twitter and Instagram and TikTok and all, all these things and Spotify numbers, you know, those, those sort of existed in some ways, like when I was doing this, but not nothing like it is, nothing is like it is compared to now. It's, it's such a grind today, you know, like who, you know, having the most, you know, followers and being so active on, on social, like there's all this bullshit that has nothing to do with the art. actually being creative and the art of making music. You know what I mean? Like, I, I know exactly what if you I, mean. If, if I felt like during that period, I had to deal with that shit. Like I had to be, you know, on the TikTok all day and I had to be, you know, working my Instagram live feed, you know, several times a day. I would have been like, fuck this. No way. I, this is not <laughs> nothing I want to get involved with. So that, that stuff like wasn't really around. You know, there was this kind of, and you know this, but there was a sort of magical sort of golden age in in the music industry from like, 2000, I don't know, 2005 to like 20, 2011, maybe, you know, and it sort of existed a little bit before that and, and sort of trailed off after that, you know, into 2013, 2014. But like, there were, there were bands that were like, just doing really cool music and putting it on online and, you know, maybe it got picked up by like stereo gum or something. You know, we, I know we've talked about this before, but like passion pit is a great example. Yeah. Just a band that came from nowhere making this totally, you know, mostly Michael, you know, the, the sort of visionary behind the project, but putting out this really idiosyncratic, really interesting electronic pop that, you know, we've sort of heard before, but not really quite like he made it. And, you know, there, an artist like him kind of came out of nowhere and just exploded on the national stage and just blew up. It was a really cool time. And I, and I think I was definitely motivated by that, that, that kind of window that, that existed back then. Like if you, you know, people making music they really they really care about that's really interesting and unique it's, it's getting out to potentially a lot of people that was always like a motivating force for me but yeah at the end of the day you're right it was it was it was about making music i i wanted to hear that i didn't think was out there really i mean you know there's music i love that's out you know phil collins peter gabriel whatever but like i felt like I felt like there was no, at the time, there wasn't like a lot of like adult contemporary music in the, in the sort of VH1 sense that we had growing up. And right. I felt like, man, like nobody's doing that. Like it's like cool. It's, it's cool in a weird way to just be kind of a weird guy, like making pop jams, you know, yeah. like that's cool. And there's like nobody really doing that. You we, know what I mean? And, and I just, and I just felt like, well, someone's got to, do that job why not me and that's sort of it and that's kind of cool uh, you know the, not just the regular personness of it but the fact that here we are in like the early 2010s you know or mid 2010s at the time that all that that you know you first started you know becoming popular and it's music that's melodic and like i was like okay this dude listened to a lot of z100 as a kid growing up in long island you had to listen to z100 it wasn't right. really a choice right. but yeah but just, you know, has a lot of the same musical signposts that a lot of people my age have, you know, whether it's, you know, Phil Collins and Bon Jovi and Steve Winwood and Michael Jackson or, or whoever, like just right. makes melodic pop music, you know, and even, I, you know, I remember when listening to Passion Pit for the first time, I was like, this is basically indie rock plus 80s R&B plus like 80s freestyle dance music, like mixed up together and you know turned into something you know somewhat different like it was very it was reminiscent fresh. yeah it, it, was, it was fresh it was fresh. like you listened to it and you were like whoa what it well, hold on what is this like that that was cool you know yeah um, so uh, at a certain point like you got signed and you were working on stuff and you were touring and i you know you toured the country at least if not the world so you got to do a lot of like, I mean, did you ever get like the holy shit, I'm a rock star kind of uh, feels at any point? 
No, not really. I mean, you know, all that, once you're in, you're kind of doing it and you're, you're an artist, everything starts to become relative. Like, I, I, I don't think I ever really had like a moment like that. I mean, I think when I was playing some big, like when we played, first time we played Firefly, no, the only time we played Firefly, we had a huge crowd. That, that was a real surreal moment where I kind of thought, okay, this is not normal anymore. This is strange. <laughs> and then, you know, we played on TV. We did Jimmy Kimmel. That was kind of, kind of a weird Alice in Wonderland moment. Like, okay, this is not, okay, this is different. And then, you know, but no, I, I don't think so. I, I think for me, I was always so wrapped up in the, the process of working on songs and running a band and trying to keep sort of the team together and, and making sure all the, the parts of the, you know, the machine were, were working. And so I, I didn't really have a lot of time to just sort of sit back and reflect on like, Oh, wow. You know, look at my life now. So like a little bit of that, but, but, but not really. No. Okay. I never so, had any moment where I felt like a rock star. Definitely right. not. Even from the perspective of like, you know, like, fuck you, I'm a big shot. Where are my hookers and blow? Like, you know, none, none of that kind of well, shit. Well, that's all true. A lot, there's a lot <laughs> of the most hookers that you, I mean, the best hookers you've ever seen. And, and then the blow is great, but. I've hung around finance people before, you know, kind of like the Wall Street types. <laughs> and I've hung around musicians. And yeah, I want to say like the Wall Street guys party harder. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely the, the people with money and, you know, expense accounts are, are doing that stuff instead of the, you know, the bands touring around the country, basically trying to pay their rent. So, so you're right about that. But yeah, I, I never, I never really, in terms of like the rock star life, I never really was exposed to any of that shit. I mean, I, I had like one or two episodes where I kind of saw glimmers of that. And I didn't partake in that, obviously, but, but yeah, I, yeah, I, that, I think that exists probably at, at some level, but I never really was exposed to much of that. So yeah, I yeah mean, definitely in finance, you see more of that. Cause you know, an indie musician isn't necessarily taking in a ton of cash and you know, they're driving definitely around not. the country in a van and they smell right. bad and they want to sleep on your couch and drink beer. You know, right, right, yeah. You know, yeah. Where, whereas the guy with the nice suit on with the, you know, the customized fitting suit is definitely going to have like money to blow on, on, on the other shit. So, true. Very yeah, true. yeah, you know, interesting perspective, you know, based on, on what people think a musician's life is like. Like, what was, what was the best part of that first like role with being like a touring musician fronting a band? For me, for me, it was, it was, I had wanted a tour so badly for so long. To me, that was sort of like, that was sort of just like the end of the rainbow. Like I always wanted to tour because I felt like touring was like, okay, you're really doing it. You're like a real band. And the first tour we did, we were supporting, well, first tour we did was for an artist called RAC, it was a friend of friend of mine, Andre, and that rolled into a the tour with a guy named Dan Kroll, who's a you know, UK-based artist, and that took us all over North America. And for me, just, just doing it and being in the van with the band, going all over, experiencing all the good and the bad of, of being on the road, I was so happy. I, I felt like, okay, I, I've like... I've achieved a concrete goal that I have set out to do for a long time. And uh, you know, there, there wasn't, I would say like a specific event, but it was really that first tour that you know, I really felt, it was very fulfilling for me. Right on. And, you know, some time has elapsed in between yep. uh, then and now. And in that time, I mean, I, I, I you know, what, what have you done with that time kind of in between? Because you're about to release new music or might have released new music by the time this gets released. Right. So well, how, how'd you fill yeah. that gap? Well, I mean, basically from, gosh, 2014 
I had toured from pretty much 2014 on and off through uh, basically, you know, spring of 2017. You know, it was like put out EP, tour a bunch, go back in the studio, work on another EP, and then tour a shitload. And you know, so I think the last tour I did was like in 20, 2017. My wife and I had a kid in 2018. And, you know, pretty much from, you know, that time on, I mean, I'm, I'm going over some gaps here, but I've been working on music, you know, just trying to slowly write the next chapter of Panama Wedding. And, you know, luckily I've, I've had the time to do that. You know, I have so many new songs and I'm so excited to put them out and, you know, reconnect with all the Panama Wedding fans. And, you know, who knows what touring is going to look like, right? you know, especially post pandemic, but I think, I think I'm just, I think it, for me, it was like, you know, growing up, becoming a dad, I got married during that period. Right. Sort of, you know, living my life, just being, you know, being a human, working on a bunch of songs. And, and now I feel like I'm, I'm ready to sort of come out of the, out of the bunker, if you will, and, uh, you know, get back in the game. Right on. And you mentioned that you, you had a kid. So, you, you know, I, I assume part of the reason that you did take the time off was to, to fully invest in, in the dad thing. What, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like, I just, as someone that has no kids, like, what is the coolest thing about being a dad? The coolest thing? Uh, well, I'll, I'll just, you know, explain my experience with it. I didn't really, I always wanted to have a kid you know, I got married. I, and in some ways I expected to have a kid at some point. It was like just something that was on the you know, itinerary, if you will, <laughs> at, you know, but I, I never like had any strong, like, oh, I really want kids. Cause I, I know there are people like that. Um, right. that, w that wasn't me. And I think, you know, I was before we, we had our daughter, Dylan, I was, Sort of like, well, I, you know, oh man, like I'm going to lose so much sleep and it's going to be so stressful and like, like oh, I got to like change diapers and all that. I'm like, oh my God, like what am I getting myself into? And, uh, you know, one of my best friends from college was like, yeah, you know, that, all that stuff is true. But like, you don't realize when you have a kid how much you love them. And I, at the time, I sort of understood what he was saying, but I didn't fully. And I think that's probably the coolest surprise about being a dad is that you just, you just have such, you have this level of love for human being that you've never really experienced before. It's, it's such a crazy thing. It's, it's really, it's really hard to explain into words, but you know, like I, I know when I show photos of like, my daughter to some of my friends who don't have kids, you know, it's, it's, it's might as well, like, you know, some of them are really into it, but some who are just not like that into kids, you know, I might as well be showing them like pictures of plants or something, but you <laughs> Unless know, they're really I, yeah, plants. Like, yeah, they're really plants are expensive. Uh, <laughs> so are kids, but you know, like I get it in some ways. Like, yeah, I, I sort of was there at some point or another in my life, but that to me has been the sort of most illuminating aspect of having a kid is just the level of extreme love you have for another person and how much they just sort of just love you. I mean, it's, it's an, it's an incredible, incredible thing. You know, it, it came at such a, uh, an important time for me because I was, you know, this was at the time where I was, you know, basically in exit negotiations with my label and, there were some changes happening in my team, you know, sort of structurally and, you know, personnel changes. And I was so stressed out, kind of just depressed and bummed out. And, you know, having, having our daughter was this like huge beam of light that just came into my life. And I was, I was, you know, I was definitely still stressed out about kind of things happening in, in, in the, you know, my career, but I was certainly like, just really, really happy. Just really happy to be a dad and really happy, you know, just 
caring for this this child. It it gave my life so much meaning, and and it's like you know, because for a while I I felt very unmoored by like you know I wasn't sure you know if I wanted to keep making music or you know what I should really do next. It's kind of going through a little bit of like an existential crisis, but sure. but you know it's it just like it just it just happened at such such a such a moment that really kind of like you know I just felt really happy and I'm just just like and in a in a weird way like because I'm so like I'm so OCD and perfectionist about when it comes to making music and I put so much stress on myself and uh it it kind of in a in a weird way like made me care like it kind of I, I started to like not really give as much of a shit about yeah, you got to reprioritize. Particularly, you know, like I, it's not like I, I'm suddenly just like, you know, just half-assing songs or anything like that. But I just suddenly was like, all the stress that I kind of put on myself and trying to, you know, be the best songwriter, best, you know, head of Panama Wedding or whatever. Like, suddenly all that just felt kind of very frivolous to me and kind of silly. And and you know, I I kind of just got back to 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 writing songs that I loved and like, you know, maybe not caring as much. I don't know if that makes any sense. No, it totally makes sense. I mean, you know, again, like I don't come from the perspective of someone who has a kid, but whenever something that monumental happens in your life, I feel like you have to reshuffle. Like it makes you rethink most of the other things that are important to you. Right. You know? Totally. And, you know, so, uh, yeah, it's, it, you got to reshuffle a little bit. Yeah, I, and I, I, you know, I definitely wasn't going to be touring during that period, and and it was just such, it's just such like a, even that, just that first year alone, like was just such a happy time, and uh, you know, it, it is, it is one of those things. It's hard to explain, but it, you know, I'm, I'm definitely a better person and a much happier person to be a dad. That's 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 awesome. Um, now raising a kid, raising a, a you know young lady at at this point, like. As a dad, like what is important for you to teach her about men? To respin like a question that I've asked a couple of other people before, um, but I don't know that I've ever that I've spoken to anyone that has daughters. I have, but nevertheless, yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> do, do I have to answer this question? No. You don't know. God, yeah. That's a, that's a that's a tough one. Don't trust any of them. No, but. I, <laughs> You know, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think, you know, all the obvious things, you know, like definitely, I mean, it's hard for me to kind of wrap my mind around Dylan dating because she's not even two yet. Sure, but, yeah. You know, <laughs> always, you know, always keep people in your company who, who respect you and want the best for you and, you know, are, are always bringing out the best version of yourself. And th that would, you know, that obviously applies to, you know, the men and hopefully the men in her life, but also, you know, any, anyone else who's, who's a part of her life. Um, yeah, I mean, any human, I think that's what you need to ask for in, in, in every human that you bring closer to you. Yeah, I think, yeah. I don't know. It's probably, it's probably the best answer I could come up with. I mean, that's, that, so. that's, that's good <laughs> advice. I mean, you know, I just, you know, I mean, I, I, particularly as this podcast sort of revolves around masculinity and I've been reading this book recently, that's really been like speaking to me about patriarchy. And I'm like, you know, if I had a daughter, like what, you know, what would I tell her just about the world in general, because it's 2020 and shit is crazy. But, you know, what would I say specifically about, you know, masculinity or, or manhood or, or whatever. But I think, you know, that, that really, most of that stuff really does apply kind of universally is just make sure that you bring, that you have people in your life that bring you light. You know? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's really, you know, all you could ask for. And, you know, you know, hopefully, I mean, I, you know, luckily she's young now and, but, you know, you know, hopefully the world is hopefully, it's becoming a better place and we're, we're sort of, you know, rethinking, you know, the norms of, of you know, how we perceive gender and, and their roles in society. And, 
you know, hopefully we're, we're all moving to a better place where some, you know, some of us slower some, than others. Some of, some of the bullshit, some of the bullshit and the horrible shit that's been going on for so long. Like, you know, these scumbags can't get away with that stuff. Like, you know, right. I mean, that's, that's, you know, being a father, you know, kind of living through that me too movement, you know, I was like, fuck these guys. Like, I don't want, you know, I don't want my daughter going to a company and some guy, you know, harassing her. And, you know, I mean, like, let's, let's get rid of this shit. And yeah. so, so yeah, best yeah. I could offer. <laughs> no, I, I, you know, you're speaking from the heart there. And I just real, you just said scumbag. And I, that, that's, that is the Long Island signifier right there. Like the second somebody uses scumbag. the term scumbag, I'm like, yeah, they're from fucking Long Island. <laughs> This is a question I actually just thought of a couple of hours ago because I was booking somebody else to do one of these interviews and he was like, he was like, I'm a straight white guy and I sometimes feel like the enemy and I want to talk about that. And I'm thinking in terms of music specifically right now. Mm -hmm. And one thing there is not a lot of that there were for a long time were sort of not even just straight white guys, but straight white guys over 30. So, you know, as a straight white guy or presumably straight white guy over 30 making music, like wh where do you feel is like, you know, like your spot, like, you know, kind of coming up? What do you mean the spot coming up? Like? I mean, just like, you know, I mean, at this point, like you're, it, it's almost like you're kind of unique because even like you know i would have thought that i i i i you know look i i take that as pretty neutral like i i would have thought maybe 10 years ago that things like you know like being over the age of first of all i know a ton of bands and musicians who i'm very close friends with who are very successful who are over 30 doing very very well but anyway that's neither here nor there uh I would have thought maybe 10 years ago, things like that mattered. I, I really feel like the music industry is, is moving closer into this sort of wild, wild, wild west mentality where like anything goes. Like I, we're just living in this, this culture of, you know, like the traditions and the norms that we grew up with, like as, as, you know, me and you grew up with, like, yeah. those are being, you know, sort of destroyed. And, and I think really at the end of the day, there's so much music out there and, you know, some of it's very good, but a lot of it's not like, I think fans just want to hear fucking dope music yeah, and right. they just want to hear great music. I don't think they give a shit if you're 25 or you're, you know, 45. They just want to hear a great song. So that's what I honestly believe. Yeah, there, there might be some people who, you know, kind of find the age thing sort of, sort of interesting and, and strange, but not something I like to think about a whole lot. And I think, I think in a weird way, it is, it is like kind of cool in a way, like kind of how we started this conversation when you, when you see an artist who's like, doesn't really fit the sort of cookie cutter vanilla, you know, cliche of what you expect an artist to look like, you know, when it's yeah. just a regular guy who's like losing his hair or whatever. Like it's, there's <laughs> something, there's something I think that resonates with people. And I, whenever I have those, you know, those kind of moments of like, Oh man, maybe, maybe I'm really getting up there. Like, yeah, I just remind myself of that. Like, you know, you could drive yourself crazy. I remember, like, I remember when I was turning 27, freaking out about that. You know, it's it's all relative. It's all like, there's always something you could find in your life that, you know, it's not perfect. It's not ideal. But, you know, for me, it's just got to put out the best songs for, for the fans that love the project and, you know, hopefully they love it back. And that's all really you can ask for. That's, that's, that I think is the way to do it. And, you know, being whatever you are isn't, a detriment to you making good music. I mean, you know, it's just really interesting to me. You know, I think back, you know, to back in the 80s when like, again, like somebody, or in the 90s, when you could hear like Phil Collins or like Rod Stewart or, you know, whoever on the radio. And these were guys that were old enough to be like my dad 
or still old enough mm-hmm. to be my dad. But if I was to look at like the top 100 now, I bet you there's like less than 10 people on that chart under 30 or over 30. Yeah. yeah I mean, I'm not really in that game anyway. It's right. Like, you know, I don't, I don't think, you know, my fans even really like look at the project like that, but I, I think, you know, in many ways that, that sort of world of like top 40 is, is pretty divorced from like anything that, that I'm, that I'm doing, but I think there's a certain demographic that probably cares about things like that or, or, or I don't want to say cares about it, but you know, it might think about those things. Well, there are, I mean, it's weird because like I have to separate business me from like personal me and personal yeah. me just personal me doesn't give a fuck what's on the charts personal me just wants to hear like good music but business me kind of keeps an eye on what's going on and i have very little like personal relation to it but you know again it's like thinking like a a, a music fan of my age but also the little tiny part of me that thinks like you know somebody that works in the industry you know, and, and thinks that like everybody wants to, or, or even like the little kid part of me that thinks everybody wants to be a star, you know, as opposed yeah. to just like making music and, you know, owning their particular lane, whatever that is. Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're like in the, I mean, there's a difference between, you know, like truly being an artist and, 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 you know, presenting something, offering something really unique in, in the music scene, something, something really unique, idiosyncratic that's yours that, and, and you cultivate a fan base that love that. And you're, you're servicing your fans and you're, you're building that relationship. There's that. And then there's the sort of like super commercial, almost kind of brand side of the music industry where, right. you know, they're not just recording artists, they're brands, you know, and, and from that, from that point of view, you know, things like age matter because you're, you're not just making music, you're marketing to a certain demographic and, you know, certain demographics respond to, you know, know, different, different images and different personalities. And like, I'm just not in that world. So it's not something I I really think about. And I don't frankly want to be in that world. Like I I really just want to, you know, put out music that I love and, and play shows and kind of, kind of build something with my fans, you know, so I, I think it's, I think it's a worthy, you know, discussion. It's just not something that like really comes on my radar screen that often. And again, I think, I think that, you know, I think that like norms and expectations of like what artists are supposed to be and what they're supposed to look like or how old they're supposed to be. I think those are, are sort of becoming you know, extinct and antiquated. You know, I mean, I, I don't think if I'm like, you know, like a 50 year old man, like, you know, playing Mercury Lounge, that might be a little strange, but like, <laughs> you know, I don't, you know, I'm still in my thirties. Like I'm not like, you know. You're not a fossil. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess, yeah. I mean, I guess I'm in, in the sort of top 40 to 100 world. I'm, I'm like, you know, in, in, in music industry dog years, I'm, I'm in, I'm in my golden age and my geriatric phase, but <laughs> yeah, like I don't, who cares? I hear that. So I got one sort of heavy question and one kind of light question for you to sort of, you know, to sort of wrap up. That'd be question, like, you know, you mentioned sort of existential crisis, in existential crisis, you know, as you were kind of parting ways, parting ways with your label and your management and stuff like that, like, you seem like a pretty like even from like your music perspective is you know upbeat generally and positive like have you always been you know have you not ever been angsty or or you know i don't know what am i trying to ask like is there a dark side of peter kirk there's a dark side to everybody mike hey Uh, (laughs) no i'm just joking (laughs) i guess there is (laughs) <laughs> no, I don't think so. I mean, for, for, you know, to, to, I, do I get depressed? Yes, of course. Do I, do I get angry? Yeah. Do I, do I, you know, deal with anxiety issues? Absolutely. Just like a lot of people, right. you know, I'm a human being, you know, like 
unlike working in a job in finance or working at, you know, a marketing company or, you know, there's no, there's no real, you know, kind of training manual to being a recording artist and being on a, you know, a big label and touring around the country, running a band, dealing with agents and managers. Nobody, nobody like teaches you how to do these things. And, you know, for the, you know, for the first few years, there were a lot of really good moments that were really special that I, you know, I look back very, very fondly on and I have nostalgia, but there were also a lot of really frustrating and, and, and stressful times that, you know, goes into running a band. You know, I would say those were the areas that, that kind of got dark for me at least, you know, where I, you know, it was just very frustrating and I didn't know what, you know, how to kind of do things. And, but I, I'm, I suppose I'm not somebody who's, who was like really prone to, to like depression. I, I think I, I, I have very intense OCD and anxiety from times. And I think those are probably related in some ways, but I think generally I'm an optimist at heart. And, you know, I think, you know, a lot, a lot of it is just, just a kind of a learning experience, trying to, trying to, you know, figure it out, you know, what works, what doesn't. And I think, I think, you know, now, especially, I feel like as I'm starting this new chapter in Panama wedding, I'm, I'm taking all of all that kind of knowledge and all the lessons I've learned along the way to, to you know, to, to just really move forward into the future. And, uh, you know, like, Oh, obviously improve upon the things that worked and, you know, avoid some of the mistakes that I've made, you know, right on. And that actually, now I have a question one, a, cause I just reminded myself of something. And this is something I try to ask a lot of musicians when, so I got the chance to meet someone whose music really like did a lot for me when I was like an angsty teenager and tell them how much their music meant to me. And it was kind of, awkward like and I'm sure that you've had people say that you know one of your songs you know one of your songs was played at my wedding or something like and I've actually played a Panama song wedding or song when I DJ'd a wedding before so I can assure you that that has happened but there've got to be people that will say like one of your songs saved my life or, or just something very like meaningful and heavy how do how do you respond to that yeah I was at a show in I'll, I'll never forget I was at a show in 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 North Carolina, it was the start of the tour I did with our friends Magic Man. And a couple came up to me after the show and they're like, oh, we're such big fans. And I was like, oh, yeah, thank you. Blah, blah, blah. You know, like stuff you normally say. Oh, we love that song, Brand New Life, that you put out. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's a good one. I like that too. And <laughs> they were like, no, like, you don't understand. We, we like decided to, you know, leave the East Coast and, you know, put our jobs and we're, we're moving West coast and we're you know, going to like pursue these things. And, you know, we're like starting our brand new life. And I was like, Oh my God, <laughs> I was like, don't do that. I was like, don't listen to these songs and get any strange I was like, but I'll, I'll never forget that because I, I, I mean, it's not like I write these songs that they have no personal meaning for, to me whatsoever, but like, I guess, I guess there was such a gravity behind what they were saying that I felt suddenly some sense of responsibility for, but they, you know, they were a really lovely couple that, that was definitely one of those moments I thought like, Holy shit. You know, and I've gotten, you know, I've, I've had fans write in all the time, especially in this period where I haven't been really releasing music where, you know, I just get these random emails and, you know, in social media messages from like, where is the new music? Like I'm desperate. I need like, you know, I need to have this in my life again. Like what is going on? Like people, you know, it's just, it's really, it's really heartening to know that there's people out there that, that really care and appreciate what I do. And, and honestly, really like, you know, I know this is like something bands or and artists are supposed to say, but like to me, connecting with fans, meeting fans at shows, hearing people who like really love the music to me, that is like, that's, that's, that's the jazz. Like, that's the shit for me. Like, I love that. That's my favorite thing about going on a tour. That's what it's all about for me is just connecting with people who really love the music because 
you know, I spent so much fucking time on these songs and like pu- literally pulling my hair out. And when you meet these people out there who love them, you're like, oh my God, thank you. <laughs> because a lot of the <laughs> times was, I'm just, this was not for naught. Going crazy by myself. Yeah. You know? yeah. I get that. All right. So last question. I'm going to throw you a softball, Peter. If love softballs. What is one song or the one song that you wish that you would give like a finger to have written? Actually, fingers are important. We'll we'll go something less important, like a pinky toe. It's a really good question. I would say this is a hard. It's a good question, but both are a very hard question. <laughs> God. All right. Definitely. This, I would say this is like probably in the top five. It's probably not like the. I'm thinking of God only knows by the Beach Boys, because it's just such a weird, ghostly, crazy song. I mean, it's just it has this sort of otherworldly quality to it. Yeah, uh, it's like... such a weird, like strange, beautiful song. I mean, that you know, I. I would put that up there. You need just one answer, right? Yeah. Not necessarily. Um, you can answer with as many songs as you want. Say, yeah, like, if we're just talking, like, you know, Western pop music. Sorry, I don't want to sound pretentious, but <laughs> you know, there's a lot of classical music I'm really into. Oh, see, I didn't know that. Yeah, no, I mean, I grew up with you know, a lot of classical music and play piano and all that. Um, okay. But uh, God only knows what the Beach Boys, man... Probably growing up, I thought Blackbird by the Beatles was always just like this. Like, I, I loved it so much that I wouldn't listen to it. You know, I don't know if you've ever had that experience where you're like, this song is special and it's magical, and if I keep listening to it, I'm going to ruin it. And that was Blackbird was that song. Huh. I just felt like, what is this? It's just like so simple and just so beautiful. I think probably... Peter Gabriel Salisbury Hill. Like that song to me is just like, yeah, it's one of those like sacred songs I just like don't listen to because it's it's so powerful. Oh, that, that's borderline left field. Like you said, Peter Gabriel is like he's gonna say in your eyes. I mean, I like that song, but it's I just keep thinking of John Cusack outside my window, which is not a bad thing, by the way. Uh, <laughs> I mean, but, you know, you know, nineteen eighty nine, uh, John Cusack was was a handsome fella. Yeah, Salisbury Hill, you know, I, I, it probably just was, you know, a lot of times you, you have attachments to certain songs because they were, they, you, you kind of fell in love with them at a, a specific point in your life. Absolutely. And Salisbury Hill was like when I was graduating from high school and I was, you know, I think I went through like a breakup with my girlfriend and it was like just this, you know, just this sort of like coming of age pivotal moment for me. And that song was sort of kind of in the background, the sort of soundtrack of what I was going through. And, you know, in many ways, the song is about change and it's about, you know, Peter Gabriel exiting Genesis and kind of, kind of facing that, that sort of existential dread of, you know, what is this next chapter of my career? What is, you know, it's just such a powerful song that I think he could have only written. And I really think those are the best songs that they're just these idiosyncratic, strange ideas that come out of people at specific moments in time that, you know, it can never be replicated. You can't, you can't go to LA and, you know, make it in a room with four or five other writers, you know, who've written all sorts of other songs. Like, just these special kind of strange unicorn songs. So I, I would say that was probably my, my top three. But, I, you know, I'll, you I'll, end this, I'll end this interview and I'll, like, think of others. I'm like, oh, man, <laughs> right, send me an email with the list of, like, 40 songs. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> right on. Thanks, Peter, for sharing your time and thoughts with us. The track Fly to Panama is available on all streaming services now, as is the rest of the Panama Wedding Catalog. Make sure you check out the Easy Lover video with Great Good Fine OK on YouTube. It's pretty awesome. Panama Wedding is also where you can find Peter on Twitter and Instagram. One goal of this podcast is to shed light on charities that need your help, and this week's charity is the New York City Anti-Violence Project, 
which provides much-needed resources to LGBTQ people who are victims of domestic violence, familial violence, and police violence. I have worked with this charity before. They are fantastic people, and you can find out more about them at avp.org. And of course, I'll remind you again to please subscribe, rate, leave a comment. Wherever you're listening to this podcast, it is much appreciated and only helps our mission get out to more and more people. And uh, make sure you follow me on social media. I am on Instagram at DetoxPodGuy, and I am on Twitter at TizMikeJoseph. If you have an idea for a theme or a guest, or if you yourself want to be on the show, you can reach me via either of those social media platforms, or you can, or you can email me at DetoxPod at gmail.com. Once again, I am Mike Joseph. This is the Detoxicity Podcast. I wish you continued safety and health for you and yours. Till next time, peace, y'all.